1: I'm Brian Hyde. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. The country singer Jason Aldean hit number one on the Hot 100 with Try That in a Small Town. So we're going to talk about that song and then go into the long, fascinating, and sometimes amusing history of reactionary country songs, which it fits right into. To do so, I have with me Rolling Stone's Joseph Hudak. And as I said... We'll start by talking about Try That in a Small Town. It's weird, right? This song didn't get that much attention until... And this is the irony of the ongoing culture war, right? Is there is a bit of, unfortunately, Streisand effect from both sides. Without Where, a doubt. where sometimes something only gets a boost because the other side has noticed it and I do think that's what happened here and it came out in May no one really noticed right
0: that's correct yeah so try that in a small town i remember when i got the email about it back in may and i listened to it and i'm like that's something but chose not to write about it down the road of course the video dropped and it really caught everyone's attention when once once someone sees the video and you see all this violent imagery and the protest shots and it's very ominous, very dark and brooding, dystopian, right? It's very dystopian as if this is a life or a future that is to come or perhaps in in Dean's mind or his audience is perhaps already here. But yeah, so then someone tweeted about it and then the lyrics ended up online and then everyone started piling on and dissecting this. So it really took on a life of its own then. And as you said, Brian, it really stoked the culture war on both sides. And the Streisand effect was in full effect. And then everyone wanted to hear the song and see the song and watch the video and weigh in on what they thought. So that's where we are. And here it is, right? Now it's the number one song on the Hot 100 this week.
1: And may I just say, possibly what's really most offensive about the song to me (laughs) is a couple things. It literally just sounds like Nickelback. It feels very uncountry to me and correct. very nickelback. And I and then I was very much vindicated on that view by seeing that Jason Aldean just went to a Nickelback show in Nashville last night. That so, is
0: correct. I uh, was gonna bring that up.
1: He obviously obviously a big influence. And then a couple other things. The opening riff I was before the show, I was going insane trying to think where it was ripped off from. And I figured it out. My Hero by Foo Fighters.
0: It's, oh it's, my gosh. Now that you've said that, I cannot unhear that, Brian.
1: I had to just keep singing it to myself until the other song appeared in my head. Then the other thing, there's also a little bit of a Beat It ripoff in the in the guitar solo. He hits that dan, 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 lick in the guitar. So what a hideous Frankenstein of a song. And as you were saying, also
0: Hookless. It really is. There is no hook. You would not catch a fish on this song. It's a plotting, don't come around here no more warning is how I describe it. And it just, I don't know, man, it's not something that you're really going to kick off the party with. And frankly, who wants to hear that in concert either? You can't really sing along to it. And I don't know, it's just inviting all kinds of aggro energy and momentum and vibe. And I don't want to be around that. Give me Jason Aldean when he was doing The Truth. which I think is one of the best country songs of the modern era that he has certainly that he has ever recorded. The vocal is great. The song is great. It's a shame that gets lost to the to history in a way, because everything is overshadowed by what Jason Aldean has become in the Trump era and the post-Trump era.
1: The other thing that is really notable to me is I believe like all Jason Aldean songs, or maybe most, he doesn't even have a writing credit on this song. If it was at least someone's individual expression, I would at least give it that credit. But the fact that it was written by a group of songwriters suggests true commercial pandering. That they were trying to craft something a little bit inflammatory to get some controversy that would pander to people who have some somewhat silly ideas about the difference between cities and small towns. I believe there's a Bo Burnham song about pandering in country music that I think applies here. <laughs> Road, a cold beer, a blue jeans, a red pickup, a rural noun, simple adjectives, but no shoes, no shirt, no shoes, you didn't hear that. But I find it really suspect and somewhat comic that there's four pro songwriters credited on this, none of whom is Jason Aldean. And yet, it's supposed to be Jason Aldean's controversial statement. It's not even his statement. It's
0: right. four people who got a check. That That's part of that That's the Nashville system, right? The Music Row mainstream system. Two of the writers on this song are actually in Jason Aldean's band. So they do have, and they've written some songs for him in the past and whatnot. Yeah. It's the narrative in Nashville is always about the best song wins. And apparently this was the best song that won in Jason's mind and he cut it. I'm sure he has a writing credit somewhere. His hits certainly not really the case.
1: Listen, Elvis never yeah, wrote a sure. song. It's totally. fine. It's fine. But there's just something funny about him just so fiercely standing up for this message
0: that he had absolutely nothing to do with crafting. <laughs> no, exactly. And but that and that Echoes what you were saying about the culture wars, right? So to go back in time a little bit, Trump loses the 2020 election. Aldine and his wife, influencer wife, Brittany Aldine, they start waving the flag. There's some memes that go out suggesting that Trump really won and won the vote and Biden didn't. There's this very much like tiptoeing around some election denial. So the watershed moment is really January 6th because shortly after the insurrection at the Capitol, Brittany Aldine shared this image on her Instagram stories of two two of the rioters. And she captioned it, Antifa disguised as Trump supporters. Shocker. And then, of course, (laughs) it was fake, right? Instagram removed that post. That Kind of is the watershed moment. So this is them, the Aldeans, leaning hard into this idea of being their free speech taken away. The country is broken. The election was stolen. And this is really a big moment in country music because Jason Aldean is a major star. And so rarely do you hear major radio country radio stars speaking out politically, right? And that, I think, you could draw the line from that moment right to where we are now with Try That in a Small Town.
1: I'd love to know the origin of this song because it, it was he like, give me something. That's a great, point, you that's know,
0: oh. a great, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a really great point. Did they come up to him and say, hey, we're going to write this or did they write it and then bring it to him? It's, we should point out actually the writers are Kelly Lovelace, Kurt Allison, Neil Thrasher, and Tully Kennedy. And Kurt and Tully are both in Jason's band.
1: And to dig in more on the culture war side of it, I also think it's a shame that because of the way the culture war works, The lines have been drawn so that This is, if you're on the red side, this is something you're supposed to defend, but I can't believe that reasonable conservatives think this is a realistic or helpful song in any way. It's just not true that there are no liquor store robberies in small towns. A a bunch of people said, believe me, people cursed out cops in my small town. (laughs) Come on, that's not reality.
0: Look, and what some of the criticism is, if you're you're going to sing about the problems that are afflicting small towns in the year 2023, it's the opioid problem. It's the lack of health care. You could even say that it's the lack of infrastructure and the fact that you can't even get internet in some small towns or they're not. They don't have the service, of course, that they have in larger cities. So then how does that feed into the information that you're devouring and you're understanding? It's, there's a lot of socio-economic cultural things that we can get into with it. But the idea of the small town, I grew up in a small town and. and the Poconos, outside of the Poconos, northeastern Pennsylvania. And a lot of this stuff was, let's go back to this, right? Let's go back to the idea of try that in a small town. I think if that song were released in the 80s, even in the early 90s, it certainly would not have caused the Uproar that it has right now. We're at a very specific moment in time. We're grappling with things that we didn't have the insight into back in in the '80s and '90s. And I think we're trying to right some wrongs. And what this song does is stay in that like stasis. This idea of of right make America great again. When was America great? Right, as this song might have you believe, it was in small towns and it was before there were protests against police violence and before there were. Gosh, I don't even remember. Oh, as you were saying, like that before, people were robbing liquor stores. That's been going on since time immemorial. Yeah, it's just, it's, there's a lot of fantasy in this song.
1: It's not explicit in the actual song, in the video, a bunch of things in the video. There's all this, so much of the footage is of protests. So this mm-hmm. is really some deep-rooted Nixonian-type conservative country imagery. We'll go back to that when we talk about the origins of this kind of thing in country. Sure. It's like this video was made by G. Gordon Liddy or something. It mixes genuine protest images, nonviolent protests. For example, a woman giving the finger to the cops and people marching, and then it puts that alongside violent rioting, which, you know, a lot of people don't support, which I don't support, but it basically conflates the two, which is really interesting. The idea that the city is this place of unrest where people dare to protest, and he's standing at this courthouse, which, by the way, what people brought up is the deliberately or not deliberately, the racial overtones of choosing a courthouse where there was a famous lynching, apparently.
0: That is correct. Yeah. That is the thing that really, it's hard to overlook that. I don't understand how, gosh, I don't understand how you you choose a site for a video for a song like this, right? Certainly for a song like this. One that's filled with, again, all this violent imagery and aggressive undertones, overtones, really. How do you not look into that look into the history of a place yeah there was a lynching in 1927 and it's it's just hard it's hard to it's hard to square that especially knowing the production company that did this video you know well regarded They are one of the go-to Production houses here in Nashville It's just hard But if they used that site before I get it And frankly though If you use that site before Maybe you should have known the history No, it wasn't like this was some like Let's A uh, couple get married at the courthouse Let's just pick this courthouse This is a song with a very particular And a video Most importantly A video with a very particular narrative
1: And then the other thing was funny Some of the I guess some of the protest imagery Was actually from Canada and stuff Yeah so. Oh my gosh
0: So that's just the icing on the cake, right? And then they re-uploaded the video quietly about two weeks ago with some of the protest footage removed. I believe it was shortened by six seconds. That was not, as far as we understand, not some concession to make it less violent. In fact, it was probably they were using footage that they did not clear. And so once the video popped and everyone started seeing it, Whoever had that original footage said, no, nah, not so fast. He didn't clear it with us. So that's funny too, in a way. What's funny to me is it's like the word choice in this song is just very much kind of like buzzwords, right? It's kind of like, what are the words that are going to grab someone's attention? Sucker punch, car jack. It's like that old comedy comedy trick, right? Where if you really want to get a reaction out of the crowd, drop a word with a CK in there, which is why fuck <laughs> is such a powerful word, right, On in stand-up comedy, because it just changes changes the energy in the room sucker punch carjack pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store cuss out a cop spit in his face stomp on the flag and light it up oh for christ's sake and then says yeah you think you're tough and it's this idea of it's this idea of this masculinity and the strength that you have to be able to overpower someone to prove that that you are the dominant figure
1: the undercurrent of course is a group of small-town vigilantes will stop you if you attempt to carjack an old lady at a red light sure just To be clear, I'm against all these things. And I think that if you see someone trying to carjack an old lady at a red light, you should absolutely intervene small town or not. Uh, All for it, actually. But And then the the part that really, you know, and then he says, got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. That shit might fly in the city. Good luck. Basically, first of all, the Paranoid fantasy that spurred millions of gun sales over the last 20 years that one day are going to come and round up all the guns. when in fact, the opposite has happened, the number of guns in this country has vastly mm-hmm. increased over the last 20 years. And then the other thing is, and this was this got lost in the subsequent coverage, but the first thing that people pointed out is he was on stage during one of the most horrifying mass shootings that's ever
0: happened in this country yeah, that is it's very true. That you're of course referring to the 2017 massacre in Las Vegas Route 91 festival. Yeah, man, I just remember that. I remember that that whole day covering that, and writing about that. I still can't believe that we're that we're at that point where this we've accepted that event happened in country music. That happened in country music. Country fans were shot and killed. It's. I don't understand how the genre has reckoned with that yet. And maybe we haven't. Maybe country music, maybe Nashville, maybe Jason Aldean. Maybe they all haven't reckoned with that. I cannot imagine if I were in his shoes being on that stage and understanding Having that moment of realization of what was happening, just and then singing a terrifying. song,
1: and then singing a song where his biggest fear is that they'll round up all the guns. I, I don't. That some dis- yeah. yeah. There's some there's some dissonance there. That must be a, that I admit is a genuine big city small town difference. As I sit here in the big city, because I don't understand, yeah, why he would sing that after. I don't understand how the experience was well, That's the him. thing, right? Yeah. Because
0: it's nothing is black and white, but everything is extremes these days. So the idea that you could that the idea that you could be in favor of gun control, means that you are okay with people coming to round up your guns. Those two things are not the same. I am a gun owner, Brian. I have guns in my home here. One was in fact the gun that my grandfather gave me. It was his revolver. It's a thirty-eight, and it's in my bedroom. I also have shotgun and a deer hunting rifle. These are things that I grew up with and I have no fear of anyone coming to take them from me because I was raised properly and I know how to protect them and secure them. And I'm not out. There was a photo that posted this weekend from a coffee shop in Franklin, just south of here in Nashville, of two guys who were. Proudly, I proudly Second Amendment walking around with their long guns around their neck and like basically itching for someone to say something. It was just absurd. But this is the difference, right? This is some cosplay nonsense that someone's going to come and knock on your door and take your guns. That's not going to happen in our lifetime or in any lifetime. We're all going to be dead from the heat. Uh, as Jeff Goodell would say, from global warming, before someone comes and takes our guns. So this idea that is just that's happening is, you know, it's a boogeyman. So instead, what I would have loved to have seen happen with Jason Aldean and with country music in general after Route 91 would say, hey, let's talk about some serious gun control at the very least. And gosh, I know we're off topic now, but at the very least, let's get assault weapons under control because come on, man. You don't need it. I deer hunt. I don't need it. If I need it, I better hang it up.
1: And I think this is the kind of reasonable, compromise, all-American discussion that we're robbed of by 100%, a song right. like this that's so inflammatory and forces people to take sides and exactly, a, a, a rational discussion would go, hey, it's one thing to have a hunting rifle and <laughs> your grandfather's gun in your house when it properly secured. And another thing to have a situation like what happened in, in Vegas, where there's no good guy with a gun who could have ever stopped that. That's not. And so t- for him, for someone to experience that and then, Decide this was a thing he wanted to put in a song. I think is just it, it's pretty baffling. It, it, it what's funny is that there were there were so many aspects of the backlash to this that initial thing, which was the first thing people said, got lost. But it's just it's not a good song. I just want people. I would love it if people who are conservative would admit this isn't a great song. And we're going to talk about some other, some other songs that are inflammatory, reactionary, super conservative country songs. And some of them are great. And I I also want us to be able to admit that as long as it's not, as long as something isn't racist or violent or genuinely harmful, I think that there can be room to be like, I totally disagree with the message of this piece of art, but I have to admit it's really good. I would love to go back to that world again with that boundary. It's not like we should be sitting there Without a doubt. deeply yeah. offensive. No, I genuinely don't even think it's healthy that the, as I said, that the left-wing condemnation of this song made it into a number one song. I, that That's just, there's something screwed up about that dynamic sure. as well. And,
0: and I think we need to accept that. I think I, I think those who have written and railed about the song, myself included, have to accept that there is some ownership in the reason that this song Went uh, to number one on the Hot 100. That's fascinating. This song it, it debuted on the Hot 100 at number two, I believe, and then it went up to number one, topped the charts the following week. Fascinating. It's just it's fascinating to think it, it's it's listening to terrible music
1: to own the libs. That's what this is, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. Watching a bad video to own the libs. That's where we're at.
1: Yes, punishing my ears with horrible music to own the libs. It's, is life really that long yeah. that you need to do this? It's like, are you really enjoying this song?
0: Really? No, <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing, though, right? I don't want to diminish the livelihood of a small town because there's something there that is real about that,
1: right? Yeah, no, it's not about small towns per se. John Mellencamp's small town. In a small town fear of Jesus in a small town. Used to Which... Sure isn't even negative about small towns it's right. actually he gets more into his other songs he hints at what Pink may be the problem but that's
0: right you know, sure
1: yeah exactly if you take it as a body of work you start to understand more overall view but a small town great song and anyone from any anywhere in the country would be happy to sing along to that because it doesn't say come to my small town and i might shoot you it just says <laughs> i like being i think that's also sort of a, a devolution right? Hey. Of like in the 80s, you could just say, I was born in a small town. I can breathe in a small town. I'm going to die in a small town. That's probably where they're burying me. And awesome. Better to listen to that song. Yeah. And, and you could get some of the same feeling. If people are just looking for pride in something that understands why they like the way they live, I think that's a better song. And there's a million country songs that are also about small towns that aren't ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. This is caricature. I wanted to talk about some of those reactionary inflammatory right-leaning songs in the history of country while also understanding that it's in a continuum and also that it's part of a debate because there's plenty of country songs that push back against that and i wanted to start by tracing the beginning of countries Mm, and again there's plenty of diversity of views within country and there always has been and there's also plenty of country that doesn't really take in fact the majority of country that doesn't take a strong political stance and never has, there was a point at which the sort of thread of GOP right-leaning politics did intertwine itself with a certain strain of country music. Not actually Republican, but I would say that the George Wallace, Loretta Lynn connection. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate to her, which he downplayed later, was the beginning of this. Of course, again, he was not actually a Republican, but he was a segregationist. Mm -hmm. There was a, and that was a moment when culturally country music and conservatism started to intertwine themselves. Intersect Um, for sure. It wasn't just Loretta Lynn. He was also Roy Acuff, and people were also involved in his campaign. They had concerts at the Ryman Auditorium for George Wallace. So that was, I believe, the moment when it started to intersect. And guess who notices this? Someone, a very savvy political figure on the right, notices, hey, there (laughs) could be something with country music and right wing politics. And that person is Richard Nixon. Then the Richard Nixon country connection becomes is really interesting. The Nixon era is when this really starts to pop and it, it, yeah. the Vietnam War is going and it's also a lot of it's a counter reaction to the hippie world. But a, a modern culture war really very little has changed since the Nixon era in some ways. It's interesting, we were talking about songs that are great in this vein and a very interesting example mm-hmm. is Okie from Muskogee. By Merle Haggard. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take our trips on LSD. And this is Nixon era. It's, oh, it's a, a fantastic song. song. And what's very strange is Merle... You could write a book about Merle Haggard's politics because they're very complicated. Uh, and contradictory. Yeah. And there's clearly some degree of evolution. There's also the degree to... So in Okie from Muskogee, he later said that he was playing a character, writing Mm -hmm. from the point of view of a character in that song.
0: Yeah, look at the lyrics are very much conservative. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take (laughs) our trips on LSD. Here's the kicker here. We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street. We like living right and being free. That's the opening verse. It really kind of sums up exactly what this character is. I don't want to say it's the hag's viewpoint, but it's this character's viewpoint of that here in Muskogee, Oklahoma, we abide by the American way, which is we are clean living, God-fearing, troop-supporting people. And if called upon to serve our country in war, we would not be burning our draft cards. We would be there living right and supporting, protecting our freedom. Yeah, that was the big thing, right? And when it came out in 69, look at the upheaval that the country was going through at the time. Is this song a caricature or is this song Haggard's real viewpoints? We don't know. David Cantwell, the author who wrote a wonderful book on Haggard called The Running Kind, he gets into a lot of this. It's very fascinating. I suggest you all read it. But what a song. Brian, what despite the does despite the the mystery of the lyrics, what a song. It's hard not to sing along with this one. I've seen Haggard do it many times live prior to his passing and my gosh, what a high point.
1: It's also it's fun. It's a funny song. Yeah, it has so funny. much it has so much wit to it. Compared to the song we just spent way too long talking about it, it has so much wit to <laughs> it. It doesn't it, it takes a bunch of jabs at hippies, but it's not there's nothing in it even faintly racist. Tell it's it. witty, it's amazingly performed, it has a great melody, great arrangement, it's a great song. And it's mm-hmm. it becomes all the more interesting the fact that Despite the first line, I think Merle Haggard smoked nearly as much marijuana as, as Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg later in his life. That makes it all the funnier.
0: Yeah. And so here's what's interesting, right? And if I'm jumping the gun here, forgive me, yeah. but compare this song to The Fight Inside of Me, which came out a year later. When
1: they're running down our country, man, they're walking on the fight inside of me.
0: They're walking So think about that song. That song is very much do not running down do not go running down my country man or you'll be walking on the fight inside of me basically the message it's don't talk bad about the freedoms we have here in the United States don't talk bad about us having to go to war or any of that stuff or any of it. it's basically raw support the country usa and if you're running down our country and our way of life then you're walking on the fighting side of me so this one is a little more aggressive than Oki from muskogee this is almost a challenge daring you to be like hey if you're talking shit about the usa you might have to answer to me
1: what i would say is that this one and also by the way because it's merle i also mm-hmm. enjoy this one too even though it's but this one is more of a template for a lot of the songs for decades going forward of mm-hmm. country songs that kind of tried to be right-wing anthems. It's a mm-hmm. perfect kind of template for that. With the implicit threat of talk down America, I might sock you in the jaw. That's the sort of thing there. And it is amazing how essentially... There's been zero artistic progress on he perfected that brand of song <laughs> in 1970. You never needed to write these other songs. You could have just covered that one because it's so perfect in its encapsulation of that attitude. Yeah. Um, but people kept writing the songs, although I will say not as many, you know, we were going through. You'd think there'd be hundreds of these songs. I'm not sure that there are, because the mm. number one prerogative in country music, like pretty much all genres, is to have hits and make money, and really divisive songs generally don't do that. And Nashville generally isn't looking for trouble on a, either way, right? It's not a big town for Correct. making huge
0: waves that way. It never has. If we're talking about commercial success, if we're talking about country radio, then yeah, you need a song that... Often sounds similar to the one before it and the one that'll come after it. That has the same sort of lyrics, whether we want to talk about the cliches of truck beds and beer and the eternal party, and that's what you want. And that's what radio wants because they don't want the listener to change the channel if they don't like something. If they don't like the song. So it's a totally different thing right now. We're when we talk about country radio, that's the caveat here. It's need to, it's important to point that out, right? Because that is where we're talking about the commercial side. So if you heard a song like Fighting Side. To me come on in between a Jason Aldean song and a Morgan Wallen song, eh, you're probably going to change the channel today. It's totally different Sonics. And that's kind of like what we're getting at with this.
1: In relation to all this, Mm -hmm. April 17th, 1970, Johnny Cash performed at the White House. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about countercurrents. So Nixon had three requests, supposedly, for Johnny Cash to play. He wanted to play Boy Named Sue, which makes sense. But then nope. he also wanted him to cover Okie from Muskogee, and he wanted him to cover a really dumb novelty song called Welfare Cadillac by Guy Drake.
0: Now I've whooped another piece that old tar roofing off the back. Sure hope it don't skin up that new Cadillac.
1: And that's basically a spoken word thing, but it's essentially <laughs> about... it. It plays into the idea that there's people on welfare who somehow drive Cadillacs, which was a myth that made it all the way into Ronald Reagan's speeches 10 years later. But Johnny Cash would not perform those songs. He did perform Boy Named Sue, and one of the songs he did play was his song What Is Truth, Uh, which has a whole different kind of message.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm looking at this now, too. My gosh, this is fascinating. I did not know much about this, I have to say. And how funny that he wanted him to play Oki from Muskogee. It, it, it sums up the, the Nixonian dialogue. So, so, so
1: this, should have been in the, this should have been in Walk the Line, the movie. I'm getting emotional talking about this. It's so powerful. Johnny yeah. Cash is facing down Richard Nixon in April of 1970 with the Vietnam War raging after he's been asked to perform reactionary songs by Nixon. Instead, mm-hmm. he looks at Richard Nixon and sings a little boy of three sitting on the floor looks up and says daddy what is war son that's when people fight and die the little boy of three says daddy why holy shit what a johnny cash badass now and forever. That is next level. That Truly. is legendary. And yeah. a, by all, apparently Nixon hated the concert. <laughs> it does not surprise me. <laughs> yes. He didn't get his welfare Cadillac. He yeah, He no. didn't get his way. He didn't get
0: his welfare Cadillac.
1: I love that because it just shows this isn't a one-sided story by who is more it iconically is. country than Johnny Cash. And look yeah. what he did. Again, you could write a whole book about Nixon and country music. But there's an amazing album called, I believe, From the Silent Majority with Love that we were uh, checking
0: out yeah harlan howard the famous songwriter gosh that was it was all about nixon's america the title is to the silent majority with love harlan howard and the the cover of the album shows these guys these hard hat factory worker guys getting out of their hey the work day's over let's go let's go have a cold one
1: mr professor on that album which he pointed me to is amazing
0: i'm the subject of god if you have any doubts don't discuss them
1: Oh and, and honestly, it, it just shows again how these culture wars never seem to change. It reflects so change. much of what people are talking about now and these fears of sending kids off to college and they might come back liberal. Never well, mind yeah. college, you high know, school. Uh, Mr. Professor, you're well-educated,
0: I know, but some things that you quote to your youngsters has troubled me so, you know. It's basically saying, leave what's taught in the classroom up to the parents and don't don't send our kids back. Here it is. Just let them, just help them learn and. Not marching and burning, <laughs> and we'll like it fine.
1: But honestly, Jason Aldean could absolutely cover this, and, and people so, would go so crazy strange. for it. Right? I mean, if, if he ha- if they had any yeah.
0: historical perspective,
1: he should take all of the songs <laughs> we're talking about and make an album. Out. We just gave Jason Aldean like $5 million, because all he has to do is record all these songs. That they'd all hold yeah. up. If you look down with a cynical frown on us working slobs, all I can see is the taxes we pay created your jobs. Man. So again, not as many of these songs as you'd think. In fact, a lot of them are concentrated in particular artists. And I think mm-hmm. that brings us to Hank Williams Jr., who really has made quite <laughs> a habit of this kind
0: of song. Hank Jr. Yeah, Bo Cephas. My gosh, he's he really, you, we could do this whole episode just about Hank Jr. So many songs that are about the way things used to be, or about perhaps the way that things should be to Hank. A Country Boy Can't Survive is, I I will just say, it's one of my favorite country songs ever. It spoke so much, and this is what I was getting at earlier with the small town lineage. It just speaks to you when you grow up as a young kid in the country. You think, "Wait, this is different. You're finding some reason to belong. And in the meantime, what I'm really doing, if I go back in time in my own life, is pining for a way to escape. And pining for a way to get to the bright lights of California or New York or something, which ironically, New York was only two and a half hours from where I grew up. But it could have been on another planet for where I was. But a country boy can't survive. Is just has some of the shades of of what we're talking about in terms of the stuff that happens in the city, right? The the stereotypical or the boogeyman stuff, right? Let's find the great lyric here. He said, I had a good friend in New York City. He never, called me, he never called me by my name, just Hillbilly. My grandpa taught me how to live off the land and his taught him to be a businessman. So he's juxtaposing this rural way of life that he grew up in to how his friend, whether he's real or not, in New York City was raised. They used to share photos. He would send him photos of Broadway and he would send him jars of homemade wine. And now here's the kick. Right. Here's the kick, Brian quote, but he was killed by a man with a switchblade knife for $43. My friend lost his life. And here comes the vigilanteism, which I know we're gonna get into next with another song, but here's where we see this too. I'd love to spit some beach nut chewing tobacco in that dude's eyes and shoot him with my old 45, because a country boy can survive. It, there there's this swagger and this bravado about that and this idea of right versus wrong that in your formative years you buy into and think, yes, an eye for an eye or whatever it may be, right? It's biblical in a way, it's biblical and it's it's, it's taking the golden rule and twisting it in a certain manner. So let's talk about another Hank Williams
1: Jr. song. It's from 1988 and it's called "If the South would have won." Oh, would won we'd have had it made. I'd probably run for
0: President of the Southern. State.
1: It's actually quite incredible the way that it elides the central issue here of race, of slavery. And the unbelievable race baiting of titling a song The South If the South Would Have Won. And what's interesting is the song what's interesting about the song itself is what it says would happen is so harmless compared to the actual reality of that horrifying idea. You know, he talks about the day Elvis passed
0: away would be a national holiday. I mean, sure. Again, this goes back if we it's a it's amazing that this song wasn't somehow co-opted by the MAGA movement because it has this idea of, oh my goodness, this is how great things would be and they talk a bit about they would send girls to the South to learn how to smile and talk with a Southern accent. And it's just, it's crazy. It's again, it's this idealized look at what the South was, right? And all the high points of the South, Cajun cooking. And what else does he talk about? He talks about cars being made in the South and, oh gosh, man, go back to the vigilanteism though. We talk about, he says, I'd make my Supreme court down in Texas and we wouldn't have no killers getting off free. Then he said, if they were proven guilty, then they would swing quickly instead of writing books and smiling on TV. But
1: you know, the last thing I'll say about if the South would have won is it's creepy. It's creepy to elide the issue of slavery. As I said, it's actually creepier than it makes no mention of race because the title is this sort of creepy threat that the song sort of mockingly never addresses. It's like doing a song, what if Germany won World War II and the lyrics are all about, you know, we'd all drive Volkswagens and the beer would be really good and it never mentions anything else and it would be all the more creepy for not mentioning it.
0: It's worth noting that album, that song was on, If the South Would Have Won, came out in 1988. So it's by no means a relic. We're on the cusp of the 90s right there and that song is being written and recorded. Fascinating. Another Hank Williams Jr. song, I've Got Right... This man killed
1: my wife and my only little son. Is this classic sort of 70s vigilante fantasy? It's well-written in its way. It's this very gruesomely detailed thing of someone's family being killed. He had this big-name lawyer, and he had that smirky smile. Got you off on a technicality, but you have to grow wings and fly to ever get away from me. Who could blame someone in that scenario from doing it? But again, it's a complete delusion and fantasy that there's blatant killers getting off all the time with technicality. It's just not a reality. So what it's really about is about the violent fantasy of the revenge, not about the crime, So Rolling Thunder was the movie I was thinking of Rolling Thunder interesting two years before that Actually, a great movie, but like super vigilante fantasy, very similar plot, except right. he even adds the detail, which would have been even better for this song, that the guy is a, an ex-POW from Vietnam and who's traumatized and then has his yeah, hat that right. goes way more exciting because he goes and k- kills a bunch of people who killed his family. So <laughs> honestly, it's, William
0: Devane, it's William oh, Devane, it's a great movie. It's, it's, great. A, it's
1: a great movie. Tarantino talks about yeah. it in his new book. I'm sure that awesome. Hank Williams Jr. was was watching stuff like that when he wrote the song, because yeah much in the culture at that time. No doubt. We should jump ahead chronologically a little bit. we got to stay on Hank Jr. because this is... We you have know, to stay uh, on Hank Jr. for a second. No. People forget no. that there was... A bit of a jingoistic "Go America" thing, even with the first Gulf War, which in George H.W. Bush's Gulf War. Totally. And but there's not a yeah. ton of songs yeah.
0: around that. But there is. Hank Jr. did not let us down. Yeah, it's actually like a compilation right. record that uh, want we'll to talk about commercialism. In 1990, he released the compilation record "America the Way I See It," which was compiled some of his songs like pro America. I got rights is on there, and naturally, what happened in 1990, Iraq invaded kuwait august 2nd of 1990 and that really there was this swell of american pride and jingoistic songs as you said and don't give us a reason hey, old Saddam,
1: you figured wrong when you thought the whole
0: which leaves off that record. It's just probably head and shoulders on that list. It opens with him say, directly calling out Saddam. He says, hey, all Saddam, you figured wrong when you thought the whole world would back down. And he just goes on this whole thing about singing to Saddam Hussein about invading Kuwait and taking the oil and all this stuff. And then he brings it back in the chorus. Don't give us a reason to come gunning for you. And I think one of the things that's so interesting to look at all these songs is it always
1: renders the unspoken spoken a lot of these songs, as far as history and the cultural consciousness of America, or the the cultural unconscious of America rendered bare. He says, I'll tell you, son, don't give us a reason. No, the desert ain't Vietnam and there ain't nowhere to run. Wow. Because the thing that that was always sort of An undercurrent was that these wars were some kind of vindication for Vietnam and a sort of almost meant to be a morale boost. Yes, we got defeated in Vietnam, but look what we're doing here. But you weren't supposed to say it out loud. But he's just flat out saying (laughs) it. It's also really weird. It's just it's so funny that he's all worked up about what happened to Kuwait, as if which is. And it right. stands in such contrast to other, you could just as easily imagine someone being like, what do I care what happens in Kuwait? Because that seems just as reasonable for Hank Williams Jr. It's
0: going to say, or su- or sub in Ukraine it, for Kuwait, it, if it it's was just, today. I mean, like, just on what? a
1: sort of sociological level, it's so fascinating that the picking and choose, I mean, you know, it goes for all sides, right? What, what, does, what does everyone choose to get worked up about? And for that that yeah. we're supposed to believe that Hank Williams Jr. was deeply worried about the national autonomy of Kuwait is just very funny to me for some reason. <laughs> uh, so that was a, an interesting preview. And for, you know, whatever you say about him, and I know he's one of your you cannot say he did. He had his hand, <laughs> he had his finger on the pulse of cultural currents, for sure. A guy who in the 70s wrote yeah. the Vigilante song, and then in 1990 writes the Saddam song, like he wasn't, sure. he really, he certainly was feeling the right. pulse of
0: America. Very interesting. Totally. And then, you know what he did, which was really funny, is he did this song called Why Don't We All Get Along Now. <laughs> Which You should go watch the video because it's just hilarious. It's him at the presidential podium trying to make peace between various warring factions. And so it's a fantastic country hook. Right. What a title. Why don't why can't why don't we all just get a long neck as in a bottle of beer, of course. Right. It's. It's amazing. But I'll give him credit, man. He was trying to bridge the divide back then. Of course, there's so much big black eyes on the latter stuff. Certainly him comparing Obama to Hitler and whatnot. It's just, it all got out of control, right? Rhetoric got out of control. Everything dialed up to 11 and all of that kind of diminishes what, as far as country music's concerned, a really great body of work. That was the first Gulf War. The next event that causes a real
1: burst of this kind of reaction mm-hmm. was, of course, nine eleven and the war in Afghanistan and the war, second War in Iraq. Mm-hmm. There's a few songs we were talking about where were you when the world stopped turning?
0: CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and, Iran.
1: which I would say is more by Alan Jackson, which is more of a for the most part, a reflective song. I don't. I wouldn't very call so. it reactionary, inflammatory. I would say it. If there's anything that that fits into that <laughs> tradition, it's the one line which actually just goes straight to the Kuwait thing. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus and I talk to God, right. which is
0: that's a very right. W. Bush era line. Very simple, simplistic, right? I can't tell you the nuances of what's happening in this very complex corner of the world, but I, I watch you know, CNN. At the same you know? time, I think there's some beauty to the, this particular song. When he performed that on the during one of the Country Awards, that debuted it live. It was I remember right where I was. It was just one of those moments where. It cross genre. It wasn't just a country hit, but spoke to. And it came. Remember, it came out in two thousand and one. Some songs that we're going to talk about in a little bit came out a year, two years later, two years after nine eleven. But this song was right there. Everyone is still very emotionally raw, and Alan just really summed it up expertly.
1: Just that one line. It's at least honest. It does, for better or worse, for the worse, speak to some people's level of knowledge in this country. So, it, so I guess that is mm. one thing you could say. Then, yeah. a much less nuanced song came from our friend Toby Keith, courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Yes, indeed. And the parentheses are very necessary. The Angry American, courtesy of the red, white, and blue. We can see clearly through our big black
0: That is right. The parenthetical is so important there. It it really is. Yeah, man, what a song. That was off of his 2002 album, Unleashed. And this was very much a response, an aggressive response to 9-11. The nation was under attack. As he said, hey, here's another phrase, Brian, quote, a mighty sucker punch. Came flying in from somewhere in the back. That's the lyric, right? This idea of the sucker punch. Aldine using that same phrasing in his new song. But yeah, this was just very much flag waving, light the fireworks. Let's go in and kick ass and take care of this country. And the one line was, when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell, it was a big deal. And it feels like the whole wide world is raining down on you, brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. It contains one of the most um, (laughs) famous lines, I think, uh, in country music of of that era, uh, which is in The Bridge, where uh, he talks about justice will be served and the battle will rage. And The Big Dog, which is kind of an allusion to Toby Keith, because that was his nickname, but also an allusion to the United States. The big dog will fight when you rattle his cage, and you'll be sorry that you messed with the U.S. of A. And then there's this dramatic pause, this almost clear mountain pause, and he says, "We'll put a boot in your ass." It's the American way. Um, that lyric was was just so so defining of that time. It was it was exactly where country music was when you saw him do that song live. It was this moment of just, you know, here comes the bombast, here comes the fireworks, you know, don't mess with America or we'll put a boot in your ass. And it really was one of the most, um, you know, pro-America, pro-military songs of that era, post 9-11, and the day, it really, a year after 9-11, since it came out in 2002.
1: Start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend.
0: 2003, Daryl Worley, it was right around the time, if I remember correctly, it was around the time when some of that that pro-America shine was rubbing off, right? I think there were some people asking the questions of, what are we doing? Why are we attacking Iraq? The drums of war were beating. We were leading up to this attack. And then Daryl Worley kind of took this song that was titled, Have You Forgotten? And just basically said, these are the reasons and spelled out why... As he says in the first line, I hear people saying, we don't need this war.
1: Yeah, no. So here's the key thing about this song. The key point. This song makes a powerful case for the war in Afghanistan, but the song is in 2003 and he's not singing about Afghanistan. He's singing at a time when we were attacking Iraq. Mm -hmm. And this is another fascinating example of saying the quiet part out loud. Everything he says is about 9-11 and Bin Laden, but it's a pro-Iraq war song. It's saying the quiet part out loud, which is that they were deliberately conflating Iraq and Bin Laden, even though they weren't connected. Every single word of this is about the 9-11 attacks and about Bin Laden and about the Taliban, even though it's a pro-Iraq war song. That's when it was climbing the charts, is when we were invading Iraq.
0: That's exactly right. This was the drumbeat into Iraq. The drums of war were sounding fascinating. It's really crazy and we're talking before about the Jason Aldean song and its lack of a hook this song has a hook and it's like him singing have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away this is this monster hook that you're hearing on the radio country radio played the shit out of this song if you step back for a moment and think about what you're singing along to it's totally troubling you're singing a chorus that says have you forgotten when those towers fell we had neighbors still inside going through a living hell it's just really strange to think that you're singing this song about this thing that we've all lived through and we're scarred by and then, of course he has these little asides in the lyrics which are really fascinating where he says and we and you say we shouldn't worry about bin laden have you forgotten the way it could have been
1: commissioned Mm -hmm. by the the George W. Bush administration because it does exactly what they're trying to do again, which is make it sound like we had to invade Iraq to go after... Bin Laden, because he doesn't say Saddam, mm-hmm. unlike Hank Williams Jr. He's, <laughs> he's talking entirely about 9-11. Again, it shows everything about the time, which is that's how America was convinced to go into Iraq, because it was very dubiously, right. we can now say factually, very dubiously, linked to 9-11, when in fact, that was not the country right. that was closely involved. And as you say, it could have been commissioned by the pro-war coalition, so- do you remember at the same time, I'd almost forgotten about this one, but I mm-hmm. wrote about it at the time in this in an article that also included the Daryl Worley song, Clint Black had a song called I Rock and Roll. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, and again, Merle is... Moral is the blueprint. It starts out it with, is, yeah. you can wave your signs in protest against America taking stands. The stands America's taken are the reason that you can. And then mm-hmm. and, and my favorite line from this song always was, it might be a smart bomb, they find stupid people too. And if you stand with the likes of Saddam, <laughs> one might just find you. Yeah. So he's threatened to smart bomb people in America for being anti-war. That's so weird. It's so, <laughs> yeah. It explains the atmosphere into which... The Dixie Chicks walked mm. with their comments and it really uh, and, does. And it, it says everything. It, and really it also does. explains why they would want to say that stuff. Right. Look, they wanted to disassociate themselves from people who were trying to smart bomb people in the United <laughs> States for their political views.
0: <laughs> you totally see what happened there. Right. And we look back at that and think about how did it ever happen. And that's how it happened. They were responding to this glut of pro, let's call them pro war songs that really rubbed them the wrong way. And then the next, the, the culture war never dies. Mm-hmm. Never dies.
1: The Obama era. So 2012, Hank Williams Jr., who's like a clock, he's always on time. He comes <laughs> out with, a, with an anti-Obama song, Keep the Change. I'll keep my freedom. I'll keep my guns. Try to keep my money and my religion too. Which is actually, I mean, look, that's a clever pun, right? It is. And it's
0: the same idea as another song that we'll get to. It's another song ripped off this concept. References what? caused him all this shit when he compared Obama to Hitler on Fox. There is a whole verse in Keep the Change where he calls out Fox and Friends. says, Fox and Friends want to put me down, ask for my opinion, then twist it all around. (laughs) Supposed to be talking about my father's new CD. Two can play that gotcha game. Just wait and see. Here's the kicker. Don't tread on me. Here we are presaging all of what we're dealing with now with Don't Tread on Me.
1: I like when he says, try to
0: keep on working, try to keep on smiling. I will keep
1: my Christian name and y'all can keep the change. That was an Obama law. I didn't know about that. He was
0: going to mandate that that Hank Williams change his name to something non-Christian. This is where we start to see the fear come in. So fear is now infiltrating these songs, a fear of someone coming to change your way of life. Hank singing about, I'll keep my freedom. I'll keep my guns. Try to keep my money and my religion too, as if someone's coming to take your religion legend away now the change the pivot here becomes a lot comes more dark really than it was even during the war songs because now we're looking at Forgive me. Now we're looking at the call is coming from inside the house. Right. As we say in the past, the boogeyman was Saddam in Iraq and bin Laden and and all of this. And now we're having some problems uh, as Hank perceives it, as other country artists perceives it coming from right inside the White House. And that's fascinating. And that's where it really becomes to get dark and scary. And we see the culture war rise up into this very much um, a new civil war, if you will
1: it's interesting that there wasn't a a signature MAGA song by a major country artist. That's actually pretty interesting. You would think there might it be It
0: really one. is interesting. It really is.
1: I could. We could write a few right now. Finally America is great again. Yeah, something. You're right. Something. Right. It's, in fact, Lil Pump is the only artist I can think of. He had a song towards the uh, end of his career. He had a song Lil Pimp, Big Maga, Step In. Oh my and God. And that was the end of Lil Pump. Maybe Trump was a bit too much even for the most reactionary people in the country. Without and a just doubt. Didn't, Without a doubt. Work. I
0: think that's You're 100% right. No one is going to put out a song with no one who wants to have a career on country radio or in any sort of mainstream way is going to put out a song about pro Trump right now just the way it is.
1: So we we went through the Trump years fairly quiet on this front, but mm-hmm. then we're in the Biden era. And again, you know, it's the thing about Biden, uh, again, how all these songs represent the culture. No one's going to go straight after Biden because he's just a, a lousy target for this kind of thing. It's been the frustration of a lot of people. It's just hard to get people that worked up about an elderly man who's clearly true. seems pr- pretty moderate. And it's, it's hard to paint him as a radical. He's been watching it for a million years. Right. It just Real hard on that. But Aaron Lewis, the uh, stained frontman who morphed into a country singer. Yes, I believe was on the cover of Rolling Stone, if I'm once. Oh yeah, he was. In a interesting phenomenon. He was on the cover of Rolling Stone once in Another Life. But yeah, but Aaron Lewis uh, wrote this song, Am I the Only One? Watching the three. couple
0: years old now and it's you know it's sort of a more in sorrow than an anger right (laughs) yeah man am i the only one willing to bleed or take a bullet for being free screaming what the fuck at my tv for telling me yeah are you telling me that i'm the only one willing to fight for my love of the red white and blue wow it yeah i have to point out that he did not serve in the military he did not serve in the military Lewis never served
1: his country in the armed forces, according to the Atlantic Journal-Constitution, but he says he wanted to. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, come on, man. I think even from a conservative perspective, how can you be guys saying, am I the only one who will take a bullet for the country and you never served? Dude. How could you possibly say that? Are you nuts? <laughs>
0: it's. It, in, but then, man, then he has the balls to go after Springsteen. Why? Why you go after Springsteen? Because Bruce is able to look at things. You've sat down with Bruce. You know this better than anyone. He asks the hard question. He loves the country, but yet he asks the hard questions. And here is this line Am I the only one who quits singing along every time they play a Springsteen song? But also, too, look at what he's asking here, man. It's like he doesn't know. He's asking questions that are very almost conspiratorial. Am I the only one not brainwashed? (laughs) What the heck is that? Brainwashed by what? What is this is this a covid song is this an election denialism song what is this what is he brainwashed about this again is where it gets scary this is where you wonder like what are what are you doing if you read between the lines Am I the only one willing to bleed or take a bullet for being free? What the hell does that mean? You and I are talking about him not serving in the military, but maybe he's talking about something else. Maybe it has nothing to do with military service, and instead it has to do with, I don't know, standing up for independence. Don't tread on me. Here comes the militia. You got me, man. Screaming, "What the fuck at my TV?" You got that right. It's hard to parse, man.
1: Yeah, no, it's the Springsteen thing is just funny to me because it's so. It's 2021. It's 17 years after mm-hmm. Bruce first came out very blatantly for a Democratic candidate, although he'd made statements before. But since vote mm-hmm. for change, so it took him 17 years to stop listening to Bruce. That's just pretty funny. It uh, really is and creepy. Then and then there's this song, "Progress," John Rich, John Rich, which we were saying rips off. The Hank Williams Jr. idea of keep your change—it's exactly the same idea,
0: except he uses progress instead of change. Yeah, and stick the prog- stick your progress where the sun don't shine—that's the brilliant <laughs> chorus. Yeah, like John loves to listen. John Rich loves to do some revel, shaking the cages, rocking the boat. He's very when the whole Bud Light controversy started, that he was right there at the fore of that, saying he's not going to sell it or in his bar, no one's buying it. Yeah. He just talks so much about this idea of of things not the way they should be. He had a song called Shutting Detroit Down, which is actually quite good. Really good hook on that. And it was about like obviously the auto industry going belly up. But in this one, it's just like he's talking about they shut down our pipelines and they shut down our voices. He's talking about like he wants to see drill baby drill, right? And everyone could have an opinion and all this. And of course, there's a lot of validity to all that freedom of speech. But how could you have freedom of speech without having progress it feels strange to me the dissonance here is very fascinating to me leave our countrymen dying in afghanistan they say let go of jesus and let government save you can have back your freedoms if you do what we say what does that mean i don't know man
1: i think one of the things that's funny about this song is it, it's so blatantly it is specifically an anti-biden song like mm-hmm. i said that's hard to do this is somebody who wrote uh, who's been watching a lot of fox news because it references the build back better slogan yes, it does. Which, yeah it, but Again, not to be a broken record, but Saying the sure. quiet part out loud. Stick mm-hmm. your progress where the sun don't shine. It's not stick your progressivism. It's literally stick progress. That's right. Like, like literally, <laughs> as William F. Buckley said, if conservatism is standing athwart the world and yelling stop, like th- he's really taking that very literally. I don't want no, not even no progress. Like I don't yeah. want the next iPhone. Yeah, yeah, right, it's just, right. stop the stop it right here. Tin cans uh, and fishing you know, it, line. It, it, I watched the right, video it, earlier today. Funny, yeah. it,
0: the video is something too. It's him driving around in a convertible and like singing on a big farm somewhere out in the countryside. But then to bring it back to Aldine, guess what he does? He intercuts footage of homeless camps in this one line. It says, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. And it shows some footage of a tent city somewhere in presumably a major American city. There again, keep it away from me. Don't come near me. Not in my backyard. That kind of stuff. So he's equating progress with the homeless problem. I'm not quite sure, but it's bury your head in the sand and don't, don't bring your homeless problem anywhere near me. When I must say, if you walk down Broadway in Nashville right now, today on this day in 2023, walk past John Rich's Redneck Riviera Bar, you will see homeless people all along the sidewalks in downtown Nashville. We have a problem. So what is he going to do? Keep your big mess away from me and mine. I don't know. A lot of things, a lot of questions that you got to ask hard things. Nothing's black and white.
1: It dubiously fits, and some people really like this song. But I just gotta—I gotta get out my pet peeve with this song: "As Jesus Take the Wheel" from 2005 by <laughs> Carrie Underwood. And if it was my, here's my problem with this song, right? It's like the idea of God coming in and helping you in an emergency is a beautiful idea, and you'd have to be a real jerk to be against that. Mm. My problem with this song, though, is explicitly the character in this song is about to have a car accident and they literally take their hand off the wheel and leave it in the hands of the Lord to save them. Now, see, my problem with this is this is just bad advice. <laughs> this is just because the Lord helps those who help themselves is a pretty fundamental, I would say, even conservative maxim. And so to say, just give up and leave it in God's hands, so, you know, God, you know, yeah. yeah. I think this sounds more like using the force or something. I think it's a very, very bad advice. It's, so I, I don't know. It's a very Bush era song to me. Let's go It's it down. bad
0: advice. It, it is. Faith is, listen, faith is tough, right? You have to believe. But do you believe enough to let go of the wheel? That's a good question. If you're going to end on that, I need to go back then to this idea of vigilanteism <laughs> because I was listening to Simple Man by Charlie Daniels today, 1989. Mm. Tell our kids, just say
1: no. And then some panty-waist judge lets a drug dealer go. Slaps him on
0: the wrist. That's a big record for him. And there's something about this song that, man, it just presages everything we're talking about. He talks a bit. Listen to this. He talks about telling our kids to, quote, just say no. And then some panty-waist judge lets a drug dealer go. <laughs> there it's the we same, go. It's the same stuff as Hank Jr. before with, oh, the criminal's getting off, right? And here we go. Here's the line. And this is interesting. He says, if I had my way with people selling dope, I'd take a big tall tree and a short piece of rope. You know where this is going. I'd hang them oh, up boy. high and let them swing till the sun goes down. So, this is this imagery, Yikes. man. It's this imagery is tough. And you think about the. Willie Nelson, Toby Keats' song, Whiskey for my, my Men, Beer for My Horses. So Willie's verse says, Grandpappy told my pappy back in my day, son, a man had to answer for the wicked that he'd done. Take all the rope in Texas, find a tall oak tree, round up all of them bad boys, hang them high in the street. Yeah, that, I know, right? And that was a radio hit. That's a huge hit. That's a Toby and Willie song. But maybe, maybe when it's delivered by everyone's favorite Willie Nelson, it feels different or it hits different. Maybe there's some... Gosh, I don't know. Maybe there's just some cowboy idealism in that or something. I don't know. But look, these are all the questions, right? What have I been saying this whole time? Nothing is black and white. There's nuance to everything. It's all how it's phrased and how it's framed. And sometimes we ask some tough questions and that you don't have the answer to. Lo and behold.
1: And I should mention a song that we were talking about, Long-Haired Country Boy by Charlie Daniels. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm no good and crazy as a loon. I get stoned in the morning I get drunk in the afternoon Because that's a great example of a song that it's really just a live and let live song right. that It's like a country Lebowski libertarian (laughs) type anthem. It's a cool song and it's not, it's politics are really interesting because if it's anything, it's just leave me the hell alone in the most benign way imaginable. He is as suspicious of the preacher man talking on TV as he is on anything else. And of the politician who wants a vote of any politician who wants a vote. Mm -hmm. I don't want much of nothing at all, but I will take another toke.
0: But listen, maybe Charlie himself couldn't appreciate it, though, because later in life, certainly when he became yep, more Christian, yep. you know where I'm going with this, he changed the lyrics and he says, instead of I will take another toke, he changed it to I will tell another joke. And then the opening line of I get up, I get stoned in the morning and get drunk in the afternoon. He changed to I get up in the morning and get down in the afternoon. Losing <laughs> the stoned illusion, losing the drunk reference, losing the weed smoking toke reference. A lot of change, <laughs> man. A do- lot of change.
1: He did the reverse Merle. Some of these is... (laughs) The reverse Merle. It's really really interesting when these culture wars happen within the course of one artist's career, which has happened more than once. So it's really interesting (laughs) and it's fun to talk about. And I, I think the love of country music has come through here. And I think it says something that as much as people are looking for this vein in yeah. country music, including right-wingers. They wanted to be about this in some cases. It was hard to find, you know, it's not like there were a million examples, so no. I think that says a lot.
0: To end on the Jason song, the Aldean song, some of these songs, what set that we've talked about that sets them apart from try that in a small town or that they're actually good songs some of them may right. be the, some of the lyrics may be odious maybe bizarre with the vigilanteism. but some of the other ones we spoke about there's some good hooks there's songs that were played on the radio that you know they really hold up and this the question is what makes Aldine's not and that is it's just not a good song
1: there you go Sorry, Jason. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now, wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.